0: this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. If we haven't met, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastor elders of our church. The guy who most Sundays gets the opportunity to unpack God's word as we gather together. Speaking of, this this morning marks the beginning of a new but not really sermon series. One that's going to carry us through the, the next couple months or so. A series entitled, as you see behind me up on the screen, Songs of the Savior. a Summer camp out in the book of Psalms in continuation of a series that we actually began several years back so that you can go back and uh, pick up on the first dozen or so psalms that we worked through. We're just going to keep adding to that with the aim of working through all 150, eventually taking a handful at a time over the course of time uh, until we complete the entire anthology. Does it take an in-depth study of the Bible to know that singing has been weaved into the very fabric of creation for God's glory. Angels have been singing God's praises from the foundations of the world. Man has been singing God's praises since Adam burst forth in song upon seeing the beauty of the creation of Eve. God's people have had a song on their lips and in their hearts throughout the course of redemptive history. And that song is gonna carry us on into eternity, forever filling the new heaven and earth with melodies and harmonies to the praise of God's glorious grace. Knowing that, knowing that the Bible communicates something of its own biblical theology of song, it should come as no surprise to us that the scriptures would contain their own hymn book. The book of Psalms, one of the most beloved books in all of the Bible. Martin Luther once wrote, In the Psalms, we look into the heart of all the saints, And we seem to gaze into fair pleasure gardens, into heaven itself, indeed, where blooms in sweet, refreshing, gladdening flowers of holy and happy thoughts about God and all his benefits. The book of Psalms, it's been referred to as the hymn book of the Old Testament, a collection of songs to be sung by God's people for God's glory. The Spotify playlist of the people of God, you might say, before there was Spotify, Capturing the the fullness of the human condition, the fullness of the human experience, filled with not only songs of praise, but songs of lament. Not only songs of thanksgiving and remembrance, but songs of wisdom and confidence. As the early church father Athanasius once said, while most of scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. So that the Psalms are a good place, as I've said before, to go and let your soul steep no matter what you may be going through, no matter where you may find yourself on this Christian journey. The entire hymn book ultimately pointing us to the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the one truly worthy of our song. We sing psalms of praise to him as our savior and king. We sing psalms of lament to him as our high priest and advocate. We sing psalms of thanksgiving to him for who he is and what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do for us. We sing psalms of remembrance to him as we survey all of redemptive history that finds its fulfillment in him. We sing psalms of confidence to him because he's trustworthy. We sing psalms of wisdom to him because he's wisdom personified and the very source of wisdom. As I've said numerous times along the way, the heart sings of that in which it delights. We can't help but do that. And so the hope for this series is that we would delight in God That we would see his goodness, his glory, his grace revealed in in Jesus Christ, and that in seeing and delighting in him, that our lives would become more and more a song of of praise. And so, with that, right out of the gate, we're gonna jump into Psalm 46. It's entitled A Mighty, or God Is Our Fortress. Um, If you don't have a Bible. I would encourage you uh, to grab one of the Bibles underneath one of the chairs in front of you. Utilize that during our time together, though uh, this morning's psalm will be up on the screen behind me. You're welcome to take one of those copies. If you don't own a copy of the scriptures, we would be more than happy to know that you're exploring uh, what the scriptures have to say on your own time. Let me go ahead and pray for us as you're opening up to this morning's passage and, and we'll jump in and get after it. God, thank you for this great book of the Bible. It's incredible honesty. It truly does capture the fullness of the human experience. flies in the face of those who would say that when you become a Christian, all of your problems go away as roughly a third of the book of Psalms is made up of laments. God, it truly is a book that not only speaks to us, but it speaks for us. And so um, I pray, Lord, I I have no idea what each and every person in this space is bringing into this space this morning. Uh, We all come with our unique difficulties, struggles, troubles, sufferings. Lord, I trust that you'll meet us in those difficulties, those sorrows, those sufferings this morning as we sit with your word in front of us, the word of God revealing the God of the word and that we would walk away fortified, encouraged, comforted, rebuked, whatever you have for us, Lord, this morning. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would move in power, that you would give me a feeling sense of the things that I preach as much as anyone else in this room this morning. Ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen savior and king, amen. Psalm 46 inspired Martin Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's one of my favorite hymns, one of several dozen hymns that that Luther uh, composed, the German reformer, throughout the course of his life and ministry, referred to as the Battle Hymn of the Protestant Reformation as it was composed sometime between 1527 and 1529, roughly 10 years after Luther posted his famous 95 theses on the the church door in Wittenberg. Composed, the the hymn was in a season when Luther was not only facing great discouragement, but too dealing with significant health issues at the time. And, And this around the time that a deadly outbreak of the bubonic plague had struck Luther's city of Wittenberg many encouraging him to leave so as to preserve his life, choosing he did instead to stay and minister to those in need. So that Psalm 46 became for him a source of confidence, a source of strength. So he would say to one of his closest fellow co-laborers, when things seemed most bleak, come Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. Luther wrote of this Psalm, we sing this This psalm, this hymn of praise to the praise of God, because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. This psalm itself, Psalm 46, what's known as a psalm of confidence saturated with words of assurance from beginning to middle to end. A psalm of utmost trust in the face of of overwhelming crisis. What definitive crisis in the the midst of which it was written, we're not told. The language broad in describing the, the threats of both natural disaster and warring enemies. No small crises to be sure, so that in a sense, this psalm speaks to any and all troubles Meaning that if we can have confidence in God in the midst of the cataclysmic, surely we can have confidence in God in the midst of the lesser troubles of life. The lyrics of this song with its two commands. One, the words of the psalmist, verse eight. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Stop fixating on your troubles and fix your eyes on the God of creation and redemption. A God who is ever present with his people, providing safety and strength. The second command, the voice of God himself, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. A call for God's enemies to stop rebelling and for God's people to stop worrying and fretting. Trusting that God is working all things together for good, Romans 8, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. A God not only mighty as we'll see in power over nature, but over the kingdoms of this world with their warring foes. This psalm, uh, in particular, providing us with an introduction, says to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. Sons of Korah were Levitical musicians placed in charge of temple worship so that, as Luther would go on to do, this psalm was put to music. A song according to Alamoth, meaning soprano voices of young women a song that you'll notice breaks up nicely into three stanzas, each of the three followed by the word selah, a word that we don't ultimately know the the meaning of, though many scholars understand it to be some kind of musical notation, most likely being an invitation to, to pause, to marvel at God and his mighty works before moving on to the next lyrics, to stand amazed. If you pick up in verse one, says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Right, this psalm begins with God, declaring that he is our refuge He is our strength, a very present help in trouble, which is significant because in the words of one writer, our protection is only as good as a refuge is strong. There's a difference in finding refuge in a bounce house, a tree house, or a beach house. That God is our refuge means that we we have what we need, a shelter when the rains come. I mean, if we're honest, when, when things come undone, we don't readily oftentimes turn to God as quickly as we ought, myself included. We try to fix the problem in our own strength. Perhaps give ourselves over to, to worry as if by worrying enough, we can manipulate the outcome of the situation. I've given this example before. Uh, perhaps you've done this or maybe you've seen it in, in watching the sport uh, where a golfer will uh, Swing and and then when the ball's in the air and it's moving a little too far right, he or she will contort, you know, the body and lean left as if that will make the ball move back onto the fairway somehow. Psalm 46 invites us to stop contorting our body, so to speak, to turn to God, our refuge and, and strength. Refuge meaning place of protection and safety. Strength meaning source of empowerment. To use the terminology from the sports world, he's our offense and our defense. As defense, he's our refuge. He's he's our place of safety, our place of security, our protector. As offense, he's our strength who empowers us to, to stay the course, to run the race, to fight the good fight, to keep going. A very present help in trouble, verse one, meaning that he's near to us in our distress. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, uh, my friends and I used to play a lot of freeze tag. Didn't need a lot of resources, just acreage. Whether it was an open field or a wooded area. And the way we played it, there was always a, a home base, a place of safety that you could run to. We'd draw it out in the dirt or in, you know in the grass. And as long as you were within the, the place of safety, you were untouchable. And remember the most terrifying moments would be uh, when one of the faster kids was the one doing the tagging. I'd find myself on the opposite side of that field or forest from home base. What the Psalmist is saying is that that's not God. That God is near to us in our distress. The word translated trouble, carrying with it the imagery of cramped quarters, meaning when the pressure mounts, when the the world feels like it's caving in. And not just the small distresses of life, but verses two and three, notice the crumbling of the world as we know it. When the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the sea, when the waters of the sea roar and foam and the mountains tremble, which some take to be, literal language, perhaps describing an, an earthquake or some other cataclysmic natural disaster. Others understanding the, these words to be a way of describing in the context of the ancient Near East, the upheaval of the created order by the false gods of chaos, seeking to decreate what God created. Still others understanding these words to be more hyperbolic. The earth giving way and the mountains being moved into the sea is a, a way of saying we, we need not fear for God is with us even when our world is being turned upside down. When the world is crumbling, Psalmist says God's people need not fear for God who is with us is our refuge and strength. Re, regardless of, of how you take these words, the heart of this song of confidence is, is that We can take courage for God is with us even when the world as we know it is falling apart at the seams. Selah. Moving on into the second stanza, verses four through seven. says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Here, the the psalmist shifts from the the language of, uh, an imagery of cataclysmic natural disaster to that of a city under siege. Mount Zion, the city of Jerusalem, the, the raging of the nations, verse three, like the roaring foaming waters. And yet God is in the midst of the city protecting her the largest of mountains movable, verse two, but not the comparatively small city of God. Again, we, we don't know with certainty what particular crisis uh, prompted the psalmist to write this particular psalm, but uh, one that surely fits the language and, and imagery here is described in Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. The attack of the Assyrian army on the city of Jerusalem in the days of King Hezekiah when all hope appeared to be lost, the the walls caving in, so to speak, and and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord for deliverance and we're told that an angel of the Lord went out that night and 185,000 were struck dead in the camp of the Assyrians. So that when the people arose early in the morning, verse five, they saw that they had been delivered by the strong arm of God. God in the midst of the city, helping her at morning's dawn, Just as he had delivered the Israelites from Egypt, uh, returning the parted Red Sea to its normal course, when the morning appeared, scripture says, throwing the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, reminding us that for every darkness, there is a dawn. Interestingly, coming back to Psalm 46, there's this Uh, describing by the psalmist of a river, verse four, whose streams make glad the city of God. And yet there was no river that ran through the city of Jerusalem. There was no water source within the city walls. In fact, it was King Hezekiah who had a tunnel built. Uh, You can read about that in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 32. Uh, He had that tunnel built in order to bring water from the upper spring of Gihon to the west side of the city. Meaning that the city was uniquely vulnerable In times of siege, as there was no source of water, couldn't go outside the city walls when there was danger. Which is why many scholars understand the river described here in verse 4 as communicating something of the very presence of God himself. He who not only sustains his people in crisis, but, but makes their hearts glad. The presence of God bringing refreshment to the hearts of his people, even when things are falling apart. The city of God, a holy habitation because it's the dwelling place of holy God. A God who, verse six, needs no bows nor spears in order to bring down his warring enemies. He utters his voice and the earth melts just as he spoke and creation came into being. This is our God. The Lord of hosts, verse seven, title used over 200 times in the Old Testament meaning a divine warrior, the one who commands the hosts of heaven, sovereign over every army in heaven and on earth, sovereign over all of creation and all of history. This is the God who is with us, the God of Jacob, the covenant Lord of his chosen people. He is our fortress. The word fortress carrying with it the picture of a stronghold of inaccessible height. When it feels like everything around us is falling apart, God is a stronghold of inaccessible height to whom we can run to for safety and courage. And God too is a river of gladness in whose presence there is fullness of joy, Selah. The third stanza, verses eight through 11, the psalmist writes, "'Come, behold the works of the Lord, "'how he has brought desolations on the earth, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Here, Here the psalmist declares that not only is God mighty over the enemies of Zion, but that he's mighty over the entire warring world. The forces of evil, doesn't matter how armed and terrible the army, 185,000 Assyrians with their spears and bows and chariots, that's not the ceiling on God's power, nor are an army of Egyptian oppressors when backed up against uh, a seemingly uh, uncrossable sea. The psalmist invites God's people to, to behold his works. His mighty acts of deliverance throughout redemptive history. As most times, what our troubled hearts need most is simply to behold, to fix our eyes on again, to gaze, to marvel at, to be reminded in the midst of our unbelief and fear, to stop fixating on our troubles and fix our eyes on the Lord, a God who is ever present with his people, our refuge, our strength. I mean, to be sure, this Psalm doesn't promise that we won't face trouble in this world, right? In fact, it assumes that we will and prepares us for the troubles that will come. But it does promise God's help, even if it may not be in accordance with our timing or our expectations. In the words of one commentator, God's help does not mean that his people are kept from crisis, but that he keeps us through crisis. In his perfect timing, when the appointed morning dawns, he rescues his people from their trouble, having preserved them through the long night. And so God himself declares, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This, this is not, a, first and foremost, a word of comfort, but rather a word of rebuke. The New American Standard, in its most literal of translations, says not be still, but stop striving. Right? It's, a, it's a call for God's enemies to stop striving against him, to lay down their arms and recognize that they're on the losing side. For some, perhaps that's the application. Perhaps today is the day of salvation for someone in this room to lay down your arms in repentance, trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness that can only be found in him. He through whom God's enemies can know God's friendship, the gift of reconciliation in Jesus Christ. These words too, a call for God's people to stop worrying and fearing, to stop striving to be the solution to our own troubles and our own strength. To be still and recognize that he is God and that we are not. Trusting that, again, that he's working all things for the good of those who love him. A God not only mighty in power over nature, but over the kingdoms of this world and their warring foes. This psalm ending with a, a refrain of uh, verse seven, the Lord of hosts who rules the angelic armies of heaven. He is with us, a fortress for his people. Right? Is, is it any wonder that this psalm would inspire Martin Luther's a mighty fortress is our God. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. In him, we are safe and secure. Which Which leads me to a question that we'll seek to answer Each week of this series, namely, how does this psalm point us to Christ? To which I would say, if the the psalmist can say, verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord, how much more can we say that on the other side of the cross? This psalm, it it speaks of a God who is with us, who is with his people. That's the story of Scripture. The, The story that the Scriptures tell is a story that begins and ends with the presence of God present among and with the first of his image bearers in the long ago created beauty of the garden sanctuary of Eden. Someday to be present with and among his people in the everlasting splendor and joy of the new heaven and earth. Between those bookends, God's presence in redemption, most beautifully and wonderfully in the stooping of Jesus into the slums of our broken world the author stepping into his own story, Emmanuel, God with us. Christ having come to live and walk among the fallen humanity, that he might rescue a people for himself into the very presence of God. Even now, verse one, Jesus, our very present help in trouble, our great high priest, Hebrews four, whose throne we can approach confidently and receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. He in whom the the greatest darkness gave way to the greatest dawn, verse 5. On the other side of his crucifixion, the three days later, early dawn of the empty tomb. He who declared, verse 10, be still, a word not of comfort, but of rebuke to the raging sea of Galilee, causing wind and waves of seismic proportion to cease. Which he too did numerous times with those facing the storm of demonic oppression exercising divine authority and power over both the natural and the supernatural. He whom, verse five, the raging nations and kingdoms of this world cannot stop in the building of his church, in the advancement of his kingdom. In fact, the gates of hell themselves, Jesus said, cannot and will not prevail. He who, verse 10, will return someday to be exalted among the nations and in the earth. On that great day when every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, Philippians 2, and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A day when he shall make wars finally and forever cease. Verse nine, the Lord of hosts bringing full and final destruction on his enemies that his people might know eternal safety, eternal security, eternal peace. Welcoming us in on that. Day to the heavenly Zion, the eternal city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, verse 4. Through the center of which that city there is a river we will know, the river of the water of life, Revelation 2. The source of that river of gladness, the throne of God and the Lamb, John tells us. His glory forever reflected in the water, bright as crystal. The center and source of all eternal blessings including joy everlasting. This Psalm inviting us in in the not yet sense to declare with fullness of heart, amen, come Lord Jesus. Usher in the streams of of gladness, the river we will know ever clear and ever full from the fount that overflows in the light of the King. And as we eagerly long and, and wait for that great happily ever after, This Psalm 2 reminding us that that we need not fear, even though the, the world as we know it is falling apart. For God is with us, the psalmist says, our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble who promises his people that for every darkness there is indeed a dawn. When things seem bleak, I think Martin Luther would say to us, and he would say us heartily. Come, let us sing the 46th song. A mighty fortress is our God. His kingdom is forever. Selah. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, Find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.